Welcome to another episode of Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. In my third episode, I talked about some of the common misconceptions we have in the West about Buddhism. In this episode, I'd like to continue that with some more misconceptions, either you've heard or may even believe in. First is going to be, there is only one Buddha. And this is usually because we go, hey, did you read this scripture, this teaching from the Buddha? Or this is the quote from the Buddha. Or this is the teachings of the Buddha. We're saying the Buddha to refer to the Buddha that lived 2,600 years ago, known as Shakyamuni Buddha or Gautama Buddha. This was Siddhartha Gautama, the individual who became the Buddha of our era. In Buddhism, we have a particular era, and for example, I just mentioned we're in this one right now, where the teachings have been rediscovered. And that person who now goes and teaches others is known as a Buddha. And that's important because there were Buddhas that preceded Shakyamuni. And there will be Buddhas that come after Shakyamuni. So it's not limited to just one Buddha. Now, who's the next Buddha? It's going to be known as Maitreya Buddha. And all the branches and traditions of Buddhism recognize the next Buddha will be Maitreya. That is our next Buddha that's coming up. And there will be Buddhas after Maitreya as well. So there will be certain time periods where there is no Buddha. And these are where the teachings are lost. No one knows about the teachings, the Dharma, and you just don't have a Buddha. But there will always be, in this progression, a Buddha that comes up and rediscovers that truth. In Mahayana, it goes a little bit further. So we're not limited to just Earth when we talk about the Buddha and or a Buddha. So in Mahayana, we recognize Shakyamuni Buddha as the Buddha of our era. So just like in Theravada, we have Shakyamuni as well. But it goes a little bit broader that we recognize a lot of different Buddhas that exist elsewhere. And one of those is going to be known as Amitama Buddha. So he has a what's known as a Buddha Pure Land and is called the Western Pure Land. And this is an extremely popular practice and tradition in Mahayana Buddhism to be reborn, experience rebirth in Amitama Buddha's Western Pure Land, because there you are under the guidance of, in this case, a celestial Buddha, where you can go, continue on this bodhisattva path, learn under Buddha and bodhisattvas, so you can eventually become a Buddha yourself, which is the goal inside Mahayana Buddhism. And so because of that, it's very, very popular. But is it just Mahayana saying, hey, there's more Buddhas? Well, in Mahayana, it's recognized that Shakyamuni Buddha had later revealed that there are other Buddhas. So we know about Amitabha Buddha and other Buddhas as a result of Shakyamuni Buddha. The second one is the Buddha was just a regular guy. And this really comes about because in one part, when we look at the Buddha's life, where he became enlightened, he said, marvelous, marvelous, everyone can achieve what I did, become enlightened, right? And that really sinks into our brains, into our ego as well. Well, exactly, we can do the same thing. And of course, if we look at the two major branches of Buddhism, we look at Theravada, it's like, well, that's the Arhat path, where, you know, you can become enlightened. And then you look at Mahayana, where it's the Bodhisattva path, it follows the path of Shakyamuni Buddha, for example, where you're eventually going to need to become a Buddha. 
So when we look and we say, well, you know, we can all become, you know, enlightened. And, you know, the Buddha, well, it's just a regular guy. You know, he just, you know, he was a prince, you know, he, you know, left the palace and became enlightened on his own. Cool. You know, he meditated. And we look at him as just, just like us. And while he was a human, as a Buddha, he is something more than a human. And that may, you know, wrap your mind around that. It can be very difficult. But when we look inside Buddhism, including in the scriptures, in both traditions, both branches of Buddhism, I should say, you are seeing the Buddha is not a normal, everyday guy or human being. He is a Buddha, and there's everything from the marks of a Buddha that you're going to find in the scriptures to what we even look at the Buddha as. He had supranormal powers. He was a bodhisattva in a heavenly realm and had decided on his rebirth here in this land as Siddhartha Gautama. He had a miraculous conception. He had a miraculous birth. He was able to do all these different things, which would be very extraordinary for just a regular guy to do. And if you really go into all the different things about the Buddha, as I mentioned, like what he looked like, his special features, what he was able to do, that is not something that just a you know, regular guy can do. That's what a Buddha does. So a Buddha is looked at by Buddhists as something more than just, you know, a regular guy. And that's why Buddhas are so revered and respected and admired inside Buddhism because this is an extraordinary feat, if you want to think about it that way. And beyond that, it's an extraordinary being. Just to be, and if you we just look back historically, 2,600 years ago, to be in the presence of the Buddha, he could speak to you and help you understand in ways that made sense to you. He had this presence about him, right? So as a Buddha, you have this Buddha field about you, just like I mentioned before, like was Amitama Buddha, right? But when you have a physical Buddha like here on earth, there is a Buddha field that emanates from them that allows you to become more easily enlightened. That's why we saw so many people that were enlightened at the time of Shakyamuni Buddha. So there's a lot more when it comes to a Buddha that we probably just even will be willing to recognize here in the West. But for Buddhists, there's half billion Buddhists around the world. Obviously, there's many different traditions and countries and people and beliefs. But largely, that Buddha is more than a regular guy. And as you dive more into Buddhism and learn more about Buddhism and understand how Buddhists practice and what we believe and everything, yeah, that, that Buddha is more than just a regular human being. Third, Zen is not part of Mahayana Buddhism. So I see this quite a bit, like, well, I practice maybe Theravada and Zen Buddhism. Okay, well, Zen which is also known as Chan inside China, is going to be part of Mahayana Buddhism. And a lot of times this comes up because a lot of Westerners like gravitate towards Zen because it seems like it's just meditation. It's, you know, it's devoid of all that other stuff inside Mahayana, like I mentioned with Amitama Buddha, for example, in the Pure Land. It doesn't have any of that stuff. It's about meditation and becoming enlightened. So very similar to Theravada, right? Well, Zen is part of Mahayana Buddhism. 
and it believes in the same things as Mahayana Buddhism because it's part of the Mahayana Buddhism because it has the different teachings inside there, the sutras. But most importantly, what is Mahayana Buddhism? It's the path of the Bodhisattva. And what that means is, yes, Zen, those practitioners are on the Bodhisattva path, just like Pure Land and all the different traditions. They are on the Bodhisattva path. So while it does focus more on meditation, it doesn't mean that it is devoid of anything that else we have inside Mahayana. And if you look at other countries, so Zen is going to be the Japanese tradition and word for it, but it's also practiced in Vietnam, in China, Taiwan, Korea. Those are typically practiced what we call dual practice inside Buddhism, where it's going to be typically Pure Land Buddhism and also Zen Buddhism, if you want, we want to use those terms, where you're practicing both kind of that meditation and also the Pure Land practices as well. So very complementary to a lot of different schools, if you will, inside Mahayana Buddhism, which we have two different types of Mahayana Buddhism you want to think about. There's East Asian Buddhism, which I kind of mentioned. There's also Central Asian Buddhism where you have, for example, Tibet, etc. But that's Mahayana Buddhism, and yes, Zen is part of that. The fourth one is the Pali Canon in Theravada is the oldest scriptural canon in Buddhism. And this I hear all the time. And is it? Is the Pali Canon in Theravada the oldest? No, it's not. While the Pali Canon may be the only complete scriptural canon in Buddhism from ancient times, it's not necessarily the oldest one. And let's start off by going back to ancient India. So we're talking about hundreds of years after the Buddha went to final nirvana, pari nirvana. You know, you would have, you know, even back in time of the Buddha, it was an oral tradition. You know, they would be passing along all of these, you know, teachings of the Buddha, all the the rules, the commentary, all that was orally done. And that was the goal of the monastics. And you would have sometimes special monastics that dealt just with that. So kind of like in our world right now, we're so used to books and, you know, electronic computers and all that, but that was the way it was done. It was not even a second thought to write all this down. So we began to see where the teachings were beginning to be written down. And it wasn't just entirely in what we now call Theravada. It was other different schools of Buddhism as well in ancient India. So there were many different schools inside ancient India, upwards of 30 or more. And what we were seeing is, yeah, some were still, you know, orally reciting things. Some were beginning to write down some of their, you know, teachings and maybe rules and stuff like that. And then where we're at nowadays, because you were seeing a decline of Buddhism in ancient India, Theravada was off the coast of India in Sri Lanka. So it was really insulated from kind of like that decline we were starting to see in ancient India. And that's why we don't have any complete canon from any of these other schools that existed at the time. The only one we have is going to be the one from Sri Lanka as the complete one from a particular Buddhist school. So there could have been other different Buddhist schools that had a complete canon as well, and probably even more than what we see inside Theravada was the Pali canon. But because in ancient India, they're all gone now, 
and we don't have those to really refer to. Sometimes we are uncovering, you know, archaeologically, we're finding, you know, some, you know, scriptures that were found in a dig site, for example, but we don't really have that. So what we do have was really transmitted to Central Asian Buddhism and East Asian Buddhism. More complete, I would say, would be the one inside East Asian Buddhism, which we see inside the Chinese canon. That's typically will refer to Central Asian and East Asian Buddhism as quote-unquote Mahayana Buddhism because you also see the Mahayana Sutras inside there as well that you don't find inside the Pali canon. And where I'm going with this is there was many different pilgrimages, especially you know from China, where scriptures were being brought back these texts were being brought back to china for example that made the first buddhist scriptural canon and when we look at these canons in buddhism it's going to be the teachings of the buddha typically and so i'm not saying it's always following this structure but the teachings of the buddha buddha which call sutras or suttas we're going to have the rules for monastics and we also have commentary and of course it can go beyond that like it does inside the Chinese scriptural canon, but you were seeing inside the Chinese canon that it had the exact same sutras, the teachings of the Buddha, as it was inside the Pali canon. In fact, the reason why the Pali canon is respected as being a true teaching of the Buddha is because scholars were able to look at the Chinese canon and go, these two, you know, worlds here, if you think about it, we're talking about Southeast Asian Buddhism, where Theravada is, and the Chinese East Asian Buddhism, they were separated by hundreds, centuries, right? And not talking to each other, but they had the same, you know, factoring in language and translation, all that. They had the same teachings of the Buddha. So we often go, oh, Mahayana doesn't have, you know, what the Pali Canon does. It absolutely does. If you look at the Chinese Canon, they're all there. They're all there, and sometimes they're actually recorded sometimes better than a polycanon. And sometimes the polycanon is recorded better than there, but they are fundamentally the same. So why that's important is, well, as I mentioned, it gave legitimacy to the polycanon because, you know, if you just have some group saying, hey, our, you know, our scripture is the word of the Buddha, you know, what does that mean from a scholarly standpoint, right? You can't really prove that or not prove that. So having these two separated really prove that, well, yes, this is, you know, at least going back to ancient India, not back, of course, to the time of the Buddha, because we can't prove that if nothing was written down. We were seeing, at least at this point in time, yes, you know, a lot of different Buddhist schools, remember I said there was like 30 or more, they were agreeing this was it, and so we can go, yeah, that's the teachings, right? So where does this all go with, you know, is the Pali Canon and Theravada the oldest? And I said it's not. Well, when we look at those sutras of the Buddha, you can see that, you know, that was pretty much widely accepted, right? I mentioned that the Pali Canon is the only complete Buddhist canon because, you know, it was pretty much insulated from the chaos that was happening in ancient India where Buddhism was on the decline because over in Sri Lanka. So, of course, it was able to keep its scriptural canon intact, you know. But you would see, and really canons in Buddhism, they were kind of like open books, if you will. They were always being added to. Really kind of like this idea we have now of a closed, you know, canon, Buddhist canon. It wasn't really a thing. You know, the Pali Canon was the first one to do that. But that happened really in kind of quote-unquote our modern world. So when we look at Mahayana Sutras, which are often explained in Theravada as being, well, you know, that came later. 
you know, that came later after, you know, the teachings, the canons and stuff like that. You actually have, and if we actually have this in dated, you know, written down form, are older than some parts of the Pali canon. And again, you might be going, well, wait a minute, how is that even possible, right? Well, remember, canons are not just the teachings of the Buddha. They also include the rules for monastics. They include the commentaries, for example, on those teachings. So what you were seeing is that in Theravada, our modern Theravada, it was still being added to the Pali canon. And it was eventually decided, you know, we, we just need to kind of close this. And that's where we see the closed canon with the Pali canon. But a lot of what we see in that canon came later. But when we talk about the teachings of the Buddha, the sutras, the suttas, they are the same inside the Pali canon and also in the Chinese canon, quote-unquote Mahayana. So therefore, both canons in that respect, if we're, if we're going to talk about the teachings of the Buddha, are the same. They're, the old, they're both as old as, as we look at that because they both originated in ancient India. So they're both the same. They're both the oldest in that respect. But the Chinese canon can continue to include, you know, different things because their Buddhist canon includes things that go beyond that. So that's perfectly fine. It's not unusual inside Buddhism, but that's going to tell you that, no, the Pali canon in Theravada is not the oldest. It's actually, as far as the teachings of the Buddha, it's the same between both. And actually Theravada has some things inside their canon that are newer than even some Mahayana sutras. And that's not to go like, oh, one is better than the other, of course. We're just saying, you know, we're going to go whatever tradition you're in is perfectly fine. You're going to have the same teachings of the Buddha. You know, of course, in Mahayana, we're going to have Mahayana sutras as well, which are different. You don't find a Pali canon. But you're able to get those core teachings of the Buddha inside either one. And then finally, there are no gods in Buddhism. And this whole is kind of like a chuckle from Buddhists, right? If you only knew. So typically what happens in the West, you know, you have people who are maybe Catholic or Christian or coming from some other religion, and, you know, they, they don't want to believe in that anymore, so they come to Buddhism, and they're attracted that, well, you got the Buddha, you know, he's just a regular guy. Remember, I just talked about that. He's not just a regular guy. But, you know, you got this regular guy, enlightenment. I can become enlightened too. It's got to meditate. And it kind of gives this false impression, if you will, of what Buddhism actually is. And one of those is, you don't find any gods in Buddhism like we would have, you know, in maybe Christianity. And so that becomes kind of attractive. But if you actually look at Buddhism, gods are all over the place extensively over the place. They were around the Buddha, and actually you can find yourself in Buddhism as a god as well, because there's a heavenly realm inside Buddhism that you could be reborn into based upon your karma. And while that also may make your head spin, we have to put a little context here. Buddhism does not have a creator god like we may find inside Christianity or Islam or Judaism. We don't have that inside Buddhism because, of course, there's different teachings like impermanence and not-self, which wouldn't really allow that inside Buddhism. But are there gods? Absolutely. Can they live a very long time? Extensively long times. But they are all still bound in the cycle of rebirth, samsara. When they burn off whatever that karma is, they're right back inside the cycle again. So that's why we even see inside Buddhism, you would have gods and all that, they would go and listen to 
the you know these teachings of the Buddha when he would speak. They were there, you know, watching, be enlightened, and everything. They're aware of what's going on here, and they also would have to become part of this human realm in order to become enlightened, to become either Arhat or Bodhisattva and then a Buddha, because they can't do that in the heavenly realm. So heavenly realms, you know, full of pleasure and all that, but, you know, it's not conducive to enlightenment. This realm we're in, you and me right now, this is the best path towards enlightenment, as the Buddha said. And, of course, in Mahayana Buddhism, you're going to have those pure lands we talked about as well that are conducive as well. But it goes to show you that there are many, many gods in Buddhism, but we have to put that in context. You know, it's not creator gods or anything else like that. And, you know, it's not something where, you know, we're praying to, for example, those gods or anything else like that. It's just another realm. Now, what do Buddhists, you know, maybe pray to or, or things like that? Well, yes, you definitely see that. And Obviously, you know, is to the Buddha, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, because they are there to help us, not as sort of like a creator God or anything like that, but to help us on our path to enlightenment. And we need help in different ways, right? And so whether that's just, you know, understanding the teachings or just getting through a difficulty that we're having right now, we're also in samsara, this very challenging world. And so having these beings able to help us is so important. But again, they're not gods. The Buddha is not a god. Other Buddhas are not gods. Bodhisattvas are not gods. Insofar as we may look at them from the Western mind and Western religious understanding mind, where that they are like creator gods. No, they're not they're not here to influence things where they're gonna, you know, do this or do that. That's up to us. They are there to help us on that path. Do you have any questions about some misconceptions in Buddhism? I'd like to hear back from you, and I probably plan on doing another one of these episodes as well with some other misconceptions we find inside Buddhism. So I'd like to hear back from you. You can contact me on Spotify or my website, alanpito.com, or on social media. I'd like to hear some other maybe things that you've heard in Buddhism if you think I should do an episode on that. Thank you.